If you're a business leader looking to cut through IT jargon and get straight answers about technology, you're in the right place. We're here to help make tech work for you without talking like a robot. Welcome to Tech Exec, a business leader's guide to technology. Well, we are back, and Kevin, I hope you've had your coffee today because we are going to be diving into a topic that is relevant to every single business leader listening. Today, we are going to cast a wide net over the topic of fishing. Oh, yeah, the whole give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, and you feed him for a lifetime. I got you. Well, yeah, but no, that's not really what... You know, Chris, I actually have a story about fishing. It's a funny story. You see, uh, one time I took my truck down to the pond to go fishing, and there was a boat. I got in the boat and rode out to the middle of the the pond. Well, as with every good fishing story, I turned the boat around and I saw a huge cow attacking my truck. Uh, So, you know, in the end, I didn't actually catch a fish, uh, but I did have a cow. Wow, that's, uh, wow. Well, Kevin, the thing is, today we're actually going to be talking about a slightly different different kind of fishing. This would be the fishing spell with a PH. And uh, from here on out, that's what we're going to be referring to rather than your common weekend pastime on the lake. And to sum it up, the fishing we're talking about is when emails are sent with the malicious intent of gathering personal information, such as usernames, passwords, or credit card numbers, so they can be used for some nefarious purpose or sold illegally. Okay, and the end game here is generally financially motivated. The bad guys want your money. And before you say that the joke is on them because you don't have any money, well, they'll gladly use you as a pawn in the game to get at the money of your friends, family, or business colleague. Right. If the bad actors are successful in compromising your accounts, they likely aren't going to just rip you off and then leave. They're going to start going after all of your contacts as well. Okay, so with phishing, the initial goal is to get you to give up some kind of personal information. How do they actually pull this off? Well, I I can't imagine an email saying, give me your username and password would be terribly effective. Not hardly, but with phishing today, there are really two approaches that attackers take. The first is service impersonation. This is where emails are carefully crafted to look like a legitimate online service that you're probably accustomed to dealing with on a regular basis anyway. Common services would be things like Office 365, secure email portals, file sharing links, and online signature platforms. You know, DocuSign would be a perfect example. Every week I'm dealing with some kind of agreement or contract that legitimately needs my signature using DocuSign. Its popularity, however, means that it is high on the list for service impersonation. Exactly. The bad guys will craft emails that look exactly like the real DocuSign, but will link you to a malicious website instead that intends to steal your information. And it's usually not obvious that anything is wrong initially. That's why training your employees to watch for signs of phishing is so important. And we'll get to that in a bit. Outside of service impersonation, the other major type of phishing attack is employee impersonation. Okay, and this is just as the name sounds. This is where the attackers will pretend to be an employee in the organization or in an affiliated organization, think clients or vendors, and will contact a legitimate employee requesting information. 
One of the most common examples is an attacker sending an email that looks like it's coming from the CEO of a company, asking the employee for some information about a payment or a transaction. And at a glance, many employees may see their CEO's name and immediately feel a heightened sense of urgency, which causes them to overlook some red flags that the email is not actually legitimate. Which brings up an interesting point I want to discuss. While the term phishing refers to the general practices of using email to harvest information from a target, there is a more specific term called spear phishing, which is much more appropriate when you talk about employee impersonation. Spear phishing is a form of phishing that is very targeted. It's generally when phishing emails are specifically crafted for an individual employee, a particular business, or a certain industry rather than the general population. While general phishing attempts are blasted out to wide audiences with very generic requests, spear phishing is very tailored and often much more effective. So let's pretend that you are running an auto insurance firm. Generally, a phishing attempt might say something like, your account password has expired. Click here to reset it. On the other hand, a spear phishing attempt might say something like, auto policy renewal requires your signature. Click here to sign. The bad actors in a spear phishing attempt know your role in the company, what kind of emails your business would normally receive, and how to get your attention. So, Kevin, let's walk step by step through an attack. I'll be the attacker, and you'll be the auto insurance broker I'm targeting. As the attacker, I'm going to start by gathering a little information about you. I'm going to go to your business's website. Let's call it sunflowerautoinsurance.com. And I'm going to click the About Us link. And there, I find your email address, kevin at sunflowerautoinsurance.com. I also find out who the CEO of the company is. His name is Jerry. If I'm feeling extra ambitious, I'll look up Jerry on Facebook and find out that he's away on a golf trip. It takes me just five minutes research online to get some valuable context that will help me craft my spear phishing attempt. Next, I go to GoDaddy and register a domain that looks almost exactly like sunflowerautoinsurance.com. Only my domain replaces the I in insurance with an L. These characters look very similar and I'm hoping you won't catch the difference. I create an email account using Jerry's real name and what looks like his real email address with just that I changed out with an L. Finally, I craft my email. I'm going to send you an email letting you know that I'm out on the golf course but need a big contract signed today and you're the only person I can turn to to take care of this important matter right away. All right, so from my perspective, I'm sitting in my computer and an email comes in. It's from Jerry. I take a look and he says he has a really important document for me to sign. I know he's on a golf trip and I want to help him out any way I can. He forwarded what looks like a DocuSign link and it seems like something our business would deal with, so I open it. A message pops up and says I need to sign in to view and sign the secure document. There's an option to log into Office 365, which is what we use for our email, so that makes sense. I click it, put in my Office 365 username and password, then it takes me to DocuSign, except it says that the link is already expired and a new link will be sent shortly. Well, shoot, I didn't quite get to it in time. I hope I don't screw up Jerry's deal. I reply to Jerry and let him know what happened, and I'll wait for him to send me a new link. Hopefully I can get it all taken care of shortly so Jerry can keep golfing. 
And at this point, I'm off to the races. What Kevin doesn't realize is that I now have his username and password, and I'm logging into his email account. See, the link I put in my well-crafted email actually went to a fake web page I set up that looks exactly like DocuSign and has a login page that looks exactly like Office 365. When he entered his username and password, I was immediately sent a copy of it. And no matter what he put into that login page, I just redirected him to a generic DocuSign error afterwards, so he doesn't immediately realize he's been duped. This gives me the time I need to break into his email account and start gathering as much information as possible until Kevin realizes that he's been fooled. In fact, I'm already reading through his emails by the time he replied to Jerry asking for a new link. And even better, he actually replied to me, the fake Jerry. To buy even more time and throw off suspicion, I reply back and say, Actually, Kevin, I was able to get the contract signed from my phone. You don't have to worry. I'll see you back in the office next week. From here, the opportunities are endless. I'm going to read his emails, search for key terms like banks, wire information, and PDF attachments that could have tons of personal information. I now have access to all of Kevin's contacts. I'll save those for later so I can launch future spear phishing attacks. I'm also going to set up a rule that automatically forwards all new messages to my own email account so that even if Kevin realizes his email has been broken into and changes his password, he won't realize his account still isn't safe because I'll continue getting forwarded copies of all new emails, allowing me to continue learning about transactions. And if you think fake Jerry seems far-fetched, think again. We see attempts like this all the time. What we've just illustrated is a spear phishing attack that resulted in business email compromise, or BEC. BEC is usually a key step in the path of actually monetizing an attack. Day to day, business leaders live in email. So it stands to reason that if someone had access to all emails sent and received, it wouldn't be too hard to piece together very intimate details of the business that's being transacted. Furthermore, by stealing the password for your email account, they're probably getting the keys to other accounts as well. Do you use that same password in other places? No matter how long or complex your password is, it does no good if you blindly give it away to the bad guys through phishing. Once they have access to your email, they can see what bank you use, and now they're going to try that same password there. So what are the red flags in our example? What did I miss? Well, first it's important to understand that today's phishing attacks are much evolved from the attacks 2010 or even five years ago. The Nigerian Prince attack is all but dead. Today's attacks are extremely tailored, so if you are only on the lookout for obvious fake emails, you're going to miss a lot. Right off the bat, the link in the email wasn't scrutinized well enough. Most phishing attacks rely on a user clicking a link. Hovering over links in an email can reveal a huge red flag. If that link claims to be from DocuSign and directs you somewhere besides the real DocuSign.com domain, that's an immediate indication that the email is probably not legit. Also, I didn't pay close enough attention to the sender. It's important to always closely examine the sender's name and email address fully, particularly if you aren't expecting something or there's some kind of unusual request. Had I looked just a little more closely, I could have spotted the transposed letters in the domain name. Next, even if you did click on that link, it doesn't automatically mean that the damage has been done. 
In this case, you weren't compromised until you entered your username and password. That was a huge red flag. Why would DocuSign want you to log into Office 365? Assuming you deal with DocuSign regularly, this would be a major sign that something is very wrong. Also, another red flag was the sense of urgency. Most attack attempts will instill the idea that a task must be completed right away or that there will be severe consequences if you screw something up. They want to throw you off your game, get you flustered, and cause you to let your guard down. I could have easily picked up the phone to call or text Jerry. Sure, I don't want to bug him on his golf trip, but wouldn't it be a bigger bother if I accidentally allowed an attacker to infiltrate his business? And here's the key takeaway. As a business leader, it is important that you foster a culture around security in your organization. From the top down, you must reinforce security and never dismiss or respond to security measures with annoyance. You do not want your employees to fear double-checking something with you that seems fishy. It's always better to be safe than sorry. So offer nothing but appreciation when your employees call you up to double and triple check transactions. And I feel like what you just said warrants repeating, just in case anyone was distracted in their car or had someone walk into their office. As a business leader, you need to set an example for the organization that security is top priority. If you are walking around grumbling about having to enter text message codes to access your accounts, are annoyed that there's an approval process for wire transactions when they get changed, you are affecting the culture of your organization in a way that could lead an employee to make the wrong decision and trigger a security incident in the company. That's right. A lot of times we see that executives feel that they should be exempt from some of the security rules. If anything, it is more critical for the executive than anyone else in the company to be on board. So, if you've made it this far in the episode and you're scared by now, good. You should be scared. This is a very real and very scary topic. Phishing and business email compromise account for billions of dollars of losses every year and affect businesses of all sizes, from individuals to large enterprises. So the whole situation thus far sounds pretty bleak. Chris, please tell us that there's some kind of good news. Is there anything that can be done? Well, yes, Kevin, it would be a shame if we ended this episode basically telling everyone that they're doomed. Fortunately, that's not the case. There are things that every single organization can do to reduce their risk if they're willing to embrace a little bit of process change and a little bit of expense. Let's break it down into two lines of defense, prevention and protection. Prevention would be the measures your organization puts in place to keep phishing attempts from either reaching users or causing them to fall into the trap. Whereas protective measures are in place to stop or control the damage if users actually fall for a phishing attack. So, we'll start with a few preventative measures. The first is employee training. Your average employee has no idea what all goes into a phishing attack. They may not understand what phishing even is. As business leaders, it is your responsibility to not only understand it yourself, but also to make sure your team is properly educated and knows how to spot red flags. And going hand in hand with training is the second preventative measure, phishing simulation tests. These are periodic emails that go out to employees that simulate what real phishing emails look like. The goal is to heighten awareness and reinforce training. And if an employee falls for your simulation, it creates a learning opportunity 
rather than a possible business compromise. Having ongoing simulations will keep security top of mind throughout the organization. It will even cause staff to be always suspicious that the simulation is trying to get them. Employees will start thinking, not this time, and feel a sense of accomplishment when they correctly identify the simulated phishing attempts. And honestly, that's a great outcome. Employees should treat every email like somebody is trying to potentially take advantage of them. Even though it's not intended to be a game, it does almost become like a game when employees are trying to dodge shady emails. This is a very effective outcome. What a great game to have. Now, the next prevention measure is specifically aimed at those employee impersonation attacks. This is a simple email tag or disclaimer that gets attached to all incoming emails from outside the organization. Typically, it's a bar at the top of the email that says something like, this email originated from outside the organization. Take extra caution with links and attachments. The idea here is that if you receive an email claiming to be someone from inside the company, and it has that tag, you know something is wrong. In our example earlier, Jerry's email to me would have been flagged and it would have immediately been a warning to me. And the last preventative measure I want to talk about is artificial intelligence or behavior-based email threat detection. This technology takes a totally different approach to email threat detection. And frankly, it's amazing. Instead of scanning emails one by one as they come in, like traditional spam filtering systems, this technology consumes all the email content from all users in the whole organization and uses artificial intelligence algorithms to detect patterns of behavior. This is incredibly powerful, as it can determine that Jerry sends lots of emails throughout the company and they always come from a particular email address. If all of a sudden there's a message from Jerry that has a slightly different email address, it's going to immediately detect and quarantine that message based on the fact that you normally don't receive emails from Jerry from that alternate address. And this AI-based protection can look for so many more patterns. It can tell if a variation of a domain name has been used to try to impersonate a legitimate domain name. It can tell if a sender is making an unusual request, like asking them to buy and send a bunch of gift cards. And it can detect when emails are purporting to be legitimate services like Office 365 or DocuSign. And while it doesn't replace your traditional spam filtering service that you've had for years, I'd almost say it's a necessity these days. A must-have rather than a nice-to-have. I agree. We recently plugged in this technology to about five dozen different Office 365 accounts, and not a single one was without several detections. Uh, most companies had hundreds and sometimes even a few thousand malicious emails detected that were just sitting out in the mailboxes of different employees throughout the company. I had no idea how bad the threats truly were until we started using this AI-based protection. And now that I've seen it in action for over a year, I'd even be willing to say this technology is the single best improvement in mitigating email threats in the past decade. That's incredible. And if you're listening and don't have an AI-based threat protection system for your email, or if you don't know, talk to your IT department or IT provider right away. So we've talked about some really great preventative measures, but what if somehow the threat still makes it through? How do we go about protecting our users should they fail to recognize a phishing attempt? Well, without a doubt, the number one protective measure is multi-factor authentication. I'll say it again. The best thing you can do to secure any online account 
especially email, is to enable multi-factor authentication. We're going to have a whole episode on this one topic at some point, but multi-factor authentication is a really effective countermeasure against attackers who already know your username and password. Sometimes termed two-step verification or two-factor authentication, multi-factor authentication is believed to be over 99% effective at stopping business email compromise attacks. And although users often complain about the extra step of getting a text message or opening an authenticator app to log in, the numbers don't lie. If you're serious about security, you must fully embrace the small pain of multi-factor authentication for the massive benefit. Another protective measure is blocking external email forwarding. At a company level, you can stop emails from automatically forwarding outside your company. Remember our example earlier where fake Jerry put in a forwarding rule? This policy would prevent the bad guys from still being able to see email after you've re-secured your account. And truthfully, as a business owner, I don't want the risk of emails automatically forwarding out of the company for many reasons. It's a good practice to prevent this altogether. Another wise practice is setting up access policies. These allow your organization to be more granular about how users connect to email and other systems. For example, if you don't have any employees outside the United States, there would be no reason to ever allow a sign-in from another country. Using an access policy, you could basically say, no matter what, never allow a sign-in from outside the United States, even if the username and password are correct. This immediately cuts off a huge portion of the world from attack attempts. And finally, there's something called investigation and response. Let's say all our preventative measures failed and some phishing message made it out to our users. Maybe everyone in the company got the same phishing attempt. With investigation and response, we could run a search across all the mailboxes in our whole company and tell it to delete any copies of the message immediately. That means no more blasting out messages or making calls, frantically telling users not to open the email. From an administrative level, it can just be cleanly extracted as if it never landed in the employee's inbox to begin with. Remember, no system is going to be 100%. And while some of these new technologies are incredible, there are still going to be some false positives and false negatives to deal with. False positives would be when the system incorrectly identifies something as a threat when it's actually not. And false negatives are when the systems allow something through that really should have been flagged as a threat. Investigation and response is a great remediation tool that allows us to deal with those false negative situations very quickly. Okay, once again. We've gone through a ton of information here. There's so much more to the pH fishing than the fishing that happens on the lake. And I'd kind of prefer it to be in the boat right now compared to some of this crazy stuff happening with email threats these days. Let's just recap and distill this down to our key takeaway points. Yeah, let's do it. So first of all, remember that phishing is when a bad actor uses email to try to trick someone into doing something that they don't intend to do. And spear phishing is a very targeted form of phishing that is tailored to your specific company or industry. Today, it can be incredibly sophisticated and difficult to realize that it's going on. These aren't your Nigerian print style of attacks. These emails look very convincing 
because they're usually impersonating legitimate people or legitimate services that you're likely engaging with during your normal course of business. The end game is almost always financially motivated, but the initial goal is almost always to steal your password so they can break into your email account and learn all about your business dealings. The bad guys lie dormant until there's a perfect time to strike, such as when a wire transaction is getting ready to occur. To combat this, we need to strengthen our business with both prevention and protection measures. Prevention keeps threats away from our users. Protection keeps our users and systems safe when the preventative measures don't manage to stop the threats proactively. And when it comes to prevention, we need to train our users well and warn them. But ultimately, humans are often the weak link. To fight these more sophisticated attacks, we need more sophisticated technologies. If you haven't added any additional email threat protection in the last few years, you're likely not adequately protected. While traditional spam filtering that you've used forever is still a key security layer, it's imperative to have a modern AI-driven email threat protection system. This layer of protection is perhaps the single best advancement in email security we've seen in the last decade. And when it comes to protection, we can take measures like blocking access from outside the United States and preventing email forwarding to recipients outside the company. But ultimately, Multi-factor authentication is what's going to actually protect users if their password has been compromised. It can be 99% effective against email compromise if fully implemented. Finally, I want to leave you with this one last thought. As business leaders, you likely have a good handle on some of the tangible threats to your business. You likely lock up and set an alarm at your building. You may have security cameras throughout your facility and fire extinguishers hanging on your walls. You almost certainly have insurance for your building, your vehicles, and your business practice in general. But despite all of that, your company's email might be the real front door in your business that you are leaving unlocked and unmonitored day after day. Do not wait until you're a victim before you start locking that virtual front door. Modern technology and processes can help you mitigate your risk and allow you to focus on your core business. Remember, Technology is a powerful tool, and it's your responsibility to use it well. Thanks for listening to Tech Exec, a business leader's guide to technology. Looking for more information about today's topic? Visit techexecpod.com for show notes or to set up a consultation with the Tech Exec Duo. If you've enjoyed our show, please rate and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And as always, we're here to help make technology work for you. See you next time.